0: Bhagavad Gita as it is. We had a little break last week because of the appearance of Shia Advaita. We had some discussion in relationship to his transcendental nature. Also a little bit of discourse on God's many unlimited forms and how we can Reconcile all the diversity of the different manifestations of the Lord and understand the inner relationship. How God can be many, but He's also that one supreme individual personality. When we were discussing Sri Advaita Acharya, the conception is there. Advaita is the Lord Himself come as a devotee praying for the Lord to Advent. Yesterday we observed the appearance of Sri Nityananda, uh, who is again the first expansion of Sri Krishna, the original personality of Godhead. So the first expansion is Baladev, and Baladev comes with Shaitanya Krishna in Kali Yuga in the capacity of, of servant. Baladeva, although Krishna's first expansion, is always serving as the sustenance, as the existence factor of Krishna's manifestation. It's a very deep theistic concept to understand the principles from the transcendental realm of uh, Sandini, Samvit, and Ladini three aspects of the supreme and we commonly know those as sat ananda eternity, knowledge and bliss those three aspects manifest themselves originally in these potencies eternity, knowledge and bliss the sustenance factor Sandini, the knowledge factor Samvit and the enjoying factor Ananda factor, Ladini factor this plane of understanding, this plane of existence as we were just reading about, this is our natural home. That's the name of the book. Home Comfort. We're comfortable in this realm of spiritual understanding and knowledge. The spiritual master, he comes to awaken that knowledge which is our birthright. We're eternally spiritual in existence and it's only due to our engagement in the plane of exploitation or renunciation that we neglect the plane of, of service, of dedication and the whole process of, of self-realization no matter what, how we package that knowledge the whole objective is to take us back to the plane of dedicated service. If we can live in that existence, we'll fully taste unlimited pleasure. So tonight, in the conclusion of the second chapter, uh, we're going to see Krishna give specific knowledge to Arjuna in regards to the necessity of control of the senses in order to make some advancement to that plane of our of self-realization. And I'm going to specifically address the correlation between these instructions of Bhagavad Gita and our practical application of these instructions In the practice of Krishna consciousness, of God-realization, Bhagavad Gita gets very specific as to the application of karma yoga, working in the world with the intent of yoga, or coming into contact with the Supreme. Jnana yoga, working with our mind, with the intent of coming into contact with the Supreme. Even Krishna touches in Bhagavad Gita upon Astanga Yoga, the control of the senses, with the intent of coming into contact with the Supreme. But specifically, at the end of the second chapter, he gives emphasis to the practice of Bhakti Yoga above all. One of the great Acharyas, Vishwanath, Chakravarti Thakur he considers this whole second chapter to be like a sutra. A sutra is like condensed spiritual knowledge packed up. And he considers the whole second chapter to be like a sutra. And the text then as it progresses beyond the second chapter is unpacked more and more it's broken apart so that we can digest it as you know like when we're reading those first verses where krishna gets into an explanation of what is your true nature your soul Never was there a time when you did not exist, nor I, nor all these kings. We can't be blown away by the wind. We can't be withered. We can't be drowned in the water. We can't, we can't be eliminated by fire. We're, we're soul. I was thinking we would chant a very interesting verse regarding the way our senses drag us away from our true spiritual nature. It's text 62. When contemplating the object of the senses, a person develops attachment for them, and from such attachment lust develops, and from lust anger arises. From anger, complete delusion arises, and from delusion, bewilderment of memory. When memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost, and when intelligence is lost, one falls down again into the material pool. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. Now this section of the (coughs) second chapter actually begins back and is in response to a question by Arjuna in text 54. Arjuna says in text 54, O Krishna, what are the symptoms of one whose consciousness is thus merged in transcendence? How does he speak and what is his language? How does he sit and how does he walk? Now, week before last, we worked up to Text 59. Text 59. Visaya vinivartante niharaharasya dehina paramdrisva nivartate. The embodied soul can work and endeavor to control the material senses. And we see many great mystics and sages and yogis who endeavor strenuously to control the senses. Reason being, they have spiritual intelligence enough to know that if we engage the senses in the work of exploitation, in the work of enjoying on this plane, we get wrapped up in karma. The senses actually come back and bite us. (laughs) We try to enjoy, and unfortunately, the result of that enjoyment is that little bit of flickering pleasure comes with the consequence of paying for it it's just like any transaction that we're familiar with in the in the business world we want to have the sports car we go up to the lot we tell sammy i want this one here <laughs> the fastest one you have the brand new one and you sign i sign a contract and you give me the keys and I'm off and enjoying. I'm off to the races. The smell of the new car, its beautiful finish. Everybody's looking at me as I drive down the street. My hair's blowing in the wind because I got the convertible model.
1: <laughs>
0: Thanks. <laughs> then the first month comes, and the coupon book's there on the desk, and I have to write the check. And the second month comes, and I have to write it again. The car doesn't look quite as <laughs> nice as it did two months ago.
1: It is. It's a BMW. <laughs> <laughs> that fresh smell of
0: the vehicle kind of wears off. The third month comes. Again, I have to write a check. And the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the second year, and the third year and the fourth year. I'm paying month in and month out, but the pleasure of the car has diminished to practically nil. Now it's just my car. (laughs) It's the car that gets me to work. I'd like a new car. I saw that my friend got a new car. (laughs) But wait, I haven't even paid off this car. There's still 18 months left and when I tried to go do the deal on the new car, They said, yeah, we'll take your car and $8,000 and pay off your loan and then you can have the new car and we'll give you a new loan book. But that fresh smell of the new car is there, that feel, everybody's looking at you. Let me do it again. That, unfortunately, is the way of the world, this plane of existence. It doesn't matter if it's a car or whatever it is. We have to pay the piper, and the piper comes in the form of karmic reaction. In some of the reactions, we don't actually write a check, but we definitely suffer the consequence. There's so many things we could go into here, but I have, a, I have something I want to cover. So we've kind of touched on again and again the fact that no matter what we do on this plane... There is a price to pay. That verse 59 is so important because Krishna is saying there the yogi, the jnani, they can work so hard to, or even the karmi can work so hard to control the senses, but unless he's developed a true spiritual taste, a true realized knowledge of his transcendental being, it's going to be just as flickering as everything else in the world. And that's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. And they work so hard, sometimes for lifetimes, sometimes for hundreds and thousands of years. You go to India, and there's one festival they have every decade, 10 years, right? Kumbh Mela. That twelve years.
1: They, this is like major. They have smaller ones, but the major one is you know every twelve years.
0: And these yogis come down out of the mountains, and they're they're they they're naked. They've been doing austerities that we couldn't even imagine. I mean, I have a hard time when it's a half day fast. What the days, You know what? to Speak of a full fast. They live on practically nothing they have no sex life they have no they have no creature comforts at all they sh- they push them all away but still even despite so much strenuous labor to control the senses there's every chance of them falling down now in this section if you've read the poor ports there's a couple examples there There's the example of uh, the yogi. I don't know if it's Prabhupada uses it. The yogi who falls down. Perfect control of the senses. But he sees two fish having a relationship. And his appetite for sex life is aroused. And he falls down.
1: Sabari
0: Muni. Sabari Muni. Also, Durvas is brought up. A great Muni, a great yogi, a great... Saintly person, but he lacked Krishna consciousness. And therefore, he could be easily, he was easily angered, like the verses we just chanted. He was angered at Maharaj Ambarish, who was Krishna's devotee. And because of that, he offended the devotee and displeased the Lord, and he had to suffer the consequence despite his high position through the practice of controlling his senses, saintly control of his senses. One would naturally ask, therefore, considering the fact that even the great yogis, in working so strenuously to control the senses, can can again become victim of the senses, again develop an exploitive mentality and everything's lost. Imagine working for decades to control your senses like these yogis do and then all of a sudden as the verses we read tonight there's some little flicker of enjoyment and the mind goes there and starts to say, hmm, maybe I'd like that brand new car. For the yogi, it might be something else. Maybe I'd like to be recognized for all these austerities. And that's one thing that uh, people that observe the Kumbha Mela know in a lot of these yogis, they can t- control the senses like anything. They're very proud of it. Just look at me. You can't do what I'm doing. And, I, and they have lots of mystic power. It gives them a lot of power in the world to, when they have that control. But not enough power to control their pride. And what do they say about pride?
1: It's like riding a horse. You can fall off easily.
0: Yes, pride cometh before a fall. So they're unfortunate in that regard. So one would naturally ask, what can we do to taste this higher taste? What do we have to do to get a taste because that taste will carry us? If we have high enjoyment, renunciation alone will not carry us. Renunciation will only take us so far. We have to develop and culture spiritual enjoyment. How do we do that? What is the method? Krishna points that out in these verses. So I'm going to go through them and you'll see how Krishna brings Arjuna to this simple understanding. So we're going to start. We left off at 59. I'm going to start with 60 and just read the verses. The first he tells Arjuna, the senses are so strong and impetuous that they forcibly carry away the mind even of a man of discrimination who is endeavoring to control them. So we just touched upon that point. They work so hard, so strenuously to control them, but still, they can can drag you away. One who restricts his senses, keeping them under full control, and fixes his consciousness upon me, is known as a man of steady intelligence. So Krishna's giving a hint here. Ah, here's a way you can control your senses and keep them reined in. Be conscious of me. Be conscious of our loving relationship, our spiritual relationship. Be conscious of that love and conscious of the fact that I am the background of everything. Then... There's a chance of control of the senses. Not a chance. What happens? The intelligence becomes what? Be- becomes fixed, steady, steta di, while contemplating the objects of the senses. If you take your consciousness off me and think about enjoying again, what's going to happen? You're going to want it, and the senses are so strong in this plane of existence, they're going to drag you down. You're going to be attached to what you contemplate, and that attachment is going to give you lust. And we know what happens when lust springs up. We want it. Let me have this. Let me enjoy this. In this plane, we don't always get what we lust after. The consequence is we become frustrated, we become angry, we lash out. Why can't I have what I want? Just like a young kid where we start stomping our head, beating our head on the floor, pounding our hands and screaming our head off. Give me, give me, gimme. Give From anger delusion. Become like a wild like a crazy man. Like just that little, just like that little child, he's out of control, out of control, delusion. From delusion, bewilderment of memory, we forget our true nature. We're not this body; we're spirit soul. When memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost. Please note the actual Sanskrit words here: smriti. Brahmsad. What's Smriti? What else? The script, the scripture? Very good. Shruti, Smriti. Smriti. We forget what good direction we received from higher authority, whether it be guru or the religious scripture intelligence is lost we lose what jana chakshush we lose the ability that we've gained of seeing things through the eyes of knowledge the eyes of scripture smriti brahmsad buddhi naso intelligence gone buddhi intelligence gone when that happens fall down fallen condition once we forget to, to, to live our lives and act according to spiritual direction, we're lost. We forget our true nature. In that illusion, in that lost condition, karma comes back in, wraps her arms around us and says, Okay, enjoy, suffer, happiness, distress. Yes, ma'am.
1: I was thinking also we get angry even when we get what we wanted because we find out that there's really no happiness in it. Uh. Like, like for, you know, like Christmas, wow, well, you just wait all year for Christmas and then Christmas comes and there's like a pile of packages and it really doesn't satisfy you. Even though you get what you ask for, it doesn't so then, you know, you have to. Look so
0: then, Archie has an after Christmas sale.
1: Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> and then because then you then you go crazy thinking I've got to, to find get what I want. something out there that will satisfy me. And then you just keep looking everywhere. It's kind
0: of then you come
1: to your spirits and you buy a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and then. <laughs> then you find out that that's not really it. Then you got to come back later and buy something.
0: Well, you have to wait because in February you get the credit card bill. <laughs> And you have to pay for all the stuff that you thought would make you happy. But a person free from all attachment and aversion and able to control his senses through regulative principles of freedom can obtain the complete mercy of the Lord. What's that word for mercy of the Lord? The very end of the word for word. prasadam. Interesting in this verse what Krishna says, isn't it? He says that someone who is so situated is unattached to what? Both attachment and aversion. Both. Renunciation doesn't... To renounce the attachment is one thing, but sometimes in renouncing, we become adverse. We don't see everything in relationship to the Supreme. This is good for me. That's bad for me. But somebody that's truly spiritually situated doesn't discriminate between good and bad. He sees everything as coming from the Supreme, coming from Krishna. If it's all coming from Krishna, it's all good. All of it. He doesn't have to make that distinction. His consciousness, being Krishna conscious, he uses whatever comes his way in Krishna's service. Perfectly. The renunciants haven't a clue. They can't understand the position of Krishna's pure unalloyed devotee. The renunciants can't understand and the materialists can't understand. In the directions we receive coming down in the succession, it's said that one worships their guru as good as God. That means if the guru comes to your home, you would offer him all the facilities that you would give God if he came to your home. Home, Same thing. No distinction. I'll give you an interesting story in this regard because it happened a few times. Naturally, when my spiritual master, Bhaktivedanta Swami, came to the Western world, his disciples were well aware of this instruction. We should worship our guru as good as God. So naturally... They, Whatever they could do to make him comfortable, they would. And if they had enough money, they'd use every cent they had to rent the most expensive limousine, to build the most elaborate and comfortable seating, seat, the Ossai, to give him the most beautiful marble top desks, for him to work on in the most comfortable furnishings and beds in his rooms. In West Virginia, I used to work in a community of devotees there. They built a palace of marble for Bhaktivedanta Swami. You need to see it sometime if you're ever up there. Amazing, amazing palace. So the reporters would come to Bhaktivedanta Swami when he'd arrive in the airport, and there'd be all this fanfare, and they'd be holding, holding up umbrellas over him as he came in, and fanning him with peacock fans and yaktail fans, and giving him a you know a, a golden goblet with water in it, and a and a and a silver platter filled with fruit, just to greet him and and sweetmeats. Just as you do, and the reporters would be there, and they'd just be like, what is going on? So they'd ask, we can see your disciples are treating you this way. uh, You're a sannyasi, you're a swami, and you're accepting all this worship. I thought sannyasis were renounced people. And Prabhupada would say, Bhaktivedanta Swami would tell him, yes, I'm the most renounced. This is not for me. I am t- accepting this on behalf of the Supreme Lord, not for myself. And as for what my disciples have done, they've done the best they can. Because really, all they could do is rent a, a $300 limousine. They couldn't rent the, the Rolls Royce or the Bentley. They had to go down. But they did the best they could and I accept that. And you'll note in the, in the Bhagavat that Krishna himself from, from his devotees if they, if they offer with love and devotion if they don't have the means but the consciousness of love is there with the offering Krishna will accept it. And when Krishna was a little baby and he went to a fruit vendor and he saw all the adults were coming and bringing a little, a bit, a little bit of grains because he lived in a, a Vaisha community, a farming community. They, they would go and they would give some grains to the, to the fruit vendor and the fruit vendor would give back some, some fruits, which they didn't themselves grow. Krishna imitated them, but a little child with his hands, small hands running out, the grains are falling out. By the time he got to the fruit vendor, he only had a couple grains left. But he gave, and and the fruit vendor gave him some fruit, more fruit than he paid for. And when she turned around and looked in her basket of fruit to go on selling, it was filled with gemstones, unlimited value. It's not what we give to Krishna or Guru. It's what's in our heart when we make the offering. For one thus satisfied in Krishna consciousness, the threefold miseries of material existence exist no longer. In such satisfied consciousness, one's intelligence is soon well established. One who is not connected with the Supreme in Krishna consciousness can have neither transcendental intelligence nor a steady mind without which there is no possibility of peace. And how can there be happiness without peace? As a strong wind sweeps away a boat on the water, even one of the roaming senses on which the mind focuses can carry away a man's intelligence. Therefore, O mighty armed, one whose senses are restrained from their objects is certainly of steady intelligence. What is night for all beings is the time of awakening for the self-controlled, and the time of awakening for all beings is night for the introspective sage. A person who is not disturbed by the incessant flow of desires that enter like rivers into the ocean, which is ever being filled but is always still, can alone achieve peace, and not the man who strives to satisfy such desires. A person who who has given up all desires for sense gratification, who lives free from desires, who has given up all sense of proprietorship and is devoid of false ego, he alone can attain real peace. That is the way of the spiritual and godly life, after attaining which a man is not bewildered. If one is thus situated, even at the hour of death, one can enter into the kingdom of God. Practical application. What is our practical application? What do we do, especially in this age, when, what is the question of living peacefully in modern society? The senses are constantly under attack wherever we go. You can't turn on the radio, you can't watch the t- you can't drive the car down the road without seeing a bombardment of enjoy, 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 enjoy. Enjoy this, enjoy that. Buy this new thing, buy that new thing. Wherever we go, we're under attack. We're under attack of what? Contemplation. And the verses we chanted? What was it? While contemplating the objects of the senses, poof, were grabbed. Practical application. What do we do practically? None of us in this age, and even the so-called yogis that we spoke about in India, who run off into the mountains, to come out every few years, can gain full mastery of the senses. And in the verse we read, in the purport, there is no better yogi in the material world. He is the supreme yogi, Lord Shiva. Even that supreme yogi, Shiva, in this plane of existence, doesn't stand a chance. Now, if Shiva can't control his senses, what hope do we have? We have no hope. But we can hope against hope, and we can what? We can take good direction from Guru and and Krishna, and we can find an engagement whereby... What is perceived as enjoyment on this plane becomes insignificant. It loses its appeal to us. It becomes insignificant. But if we do not engage in a process of developing spiritual enjoyment, then all of this renunciation, all this control of the senses, will be for nil. As devotees, we're not interested in controlling our senses. That doesn't mean we let our senses run wild. We we exert control that's been given to us in the form of good direction by the Guru and Krishna. But we're not interested in control. The control is just a means to the end what we're interested in is the end. Spiritual enjoyment of our loving relationship with Krishna. So I'm going to close and read something that puts this in perspective. Because I know as far as these verses, you've all read Prabhupada's purports. So you're aware of what what he said in relationship to these verses. And if not, then you can read them. I'm going to push on and put this into perspective because I've said something that's really profound. Krishna's talking about control of the senses and I'm saying we're not interested in controlling the senses and you're saying, wait a minute, I thought he's teaching what Krishna's teaching. Krishna's talking about controlling the senses, not letting the wind blow them away, becoming steady And you're saying, well, that's not really what it's all about. It's not. What it's all about is becoming a lover of Krishna. But there's a means, there is a method that we must employ to come to the platform of love. And that means is sadhana bhakti. And there are different stages of spiritual practice which bring us to perfect love. From the Chaitanya Charitamrita, I'm going to read one purport to put it in perspective. This is in the Adi Lila. In the fourth chapter, The Confidential Reasons for the Lord's Appearance. Uh, the verses here are kind of esoteric, but the purport is to the point that I'm trying to make this evening. And the purport is to to text number 21 and 22 of the fourth chapter. If one cherishes pure loving devotion to me, thinking me as his son, his friend, or his beloved, regarding himself as great, and considering me his equal or inferior, I become subordinate to him. Very esoteric stuff here. Krishna is talking about how he exchanges love on the highest level with his topmost devotees. Is poor poorport in this regard. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, three kinds of devotional service are described, namely bhakti, ordinary devotional service, Sudha bhakti, pure devotional service and mixed devotional service. When devotional service is executed with some material purpose involving fruitive activities, mental speculation, or mystic yoga, it is called mixed or adulterated devotional service. Keep this in mind. As we continue in our study of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna takes these three paths karma jnana and yoga he takes these three paths and he gradually shows how the perfections of these three paths which all contain a desire other than pure love of God he takes Arjuna through all of them and ultimately shows that they all have to be abandoned for the practitioner to taste the highest fruit so we'll be speaking about this a lot in the coming weeks besides Bhakti Yoga the Bhagavad Gita also describes Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga and Dhyana Yoga Yoga means linking with the Supreme which is possible only through devotion fruit of activities ending in devotional service philosophical speculation ending in devotional service And the practice of mysticism ending in devotional service are known respectively as karma yoga, jnana yoga, and dhyana yoga. But such devotional service is adulterated by the three kinds of material activities. By the practices themselves, the devotional service is diluted. mixed. For those grossly engaged in identifying the body as the self, Pious activity or karma yoga is recommended. For those who identify the mind with the self, philosophical speculation or jnana yoga is recommended. But devotees standing on the spiritual platform have no need for such material conceptions of adulterated devotion. Adulterated devotional service does not directly aim for love of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, service performed strictly in conformity with the revealed scriptures is better than that than such divided bhakti, because it is free from all kinds of material contamination. It is executed in Krishna consciousness solely to please the supreme personality of Godhead. This is the interesting paragraph those who are spontaneously devoted to the Lord natural spontaneous and have no aims for material gain are called attached devotees they are spontaneously attracted to the service of the Lord and they follow the in the footsteps of self-realized souls their pure devotion sudha bhakti manifested from pure love of Godhead surpasses the regulative Principles of the authoritative scriptures. Sometimes loving ecstasy transcends regulative principles. Such ecstasy, however, is completely on the spiritual platform and cannot be imitated. The regulative principles help ordinary devotees rise to the stage of perfect love of Godhead. Pure love for Krishna is the Perfection of pure devotion. And pure devotional service is a dedicate with spontaneous devotional service. What this purport is telling us is there are stages to our advancement in spiritual life. It would be wonderful, of course, if we would simply fall down at the feet of our spiritual master. Or the feet of Lord Krishna, and say, From this day forward, I'm 100% yours. Whatever you direct, I'll do. Whatever you want, I'll dedicate my full life to that. No questions asked. For the majority of us, such complete and total surrender, we have to work up to it. (laughs) We've been conditioned for many, many lifetimes. We want to be God conscious but our senses are still there demanding that we exploit. Therefore the guru gives us some simple direction. Simple direction that we can live with. Not something that's beyond our capacity. He doesn't say if you want to meet Krishna if you want to fall in love with Krishna you're going to have to go to the Himalayas eat berries and leaves and have no clothing in the freeze of in the freezing winter or stand in a circle of fire in the summer this is not required but there is and there has to be some disciplined service to krishna which will gradually pull your senses under control. And it is possible. It's not beyond your capacity. Simple. Take up good association. Associate with those people who are God conscious. Don't associate with materialistic people. Association is top of the list. Associate with Krishna through his holy name. Associate with Krishna's devotees. Don't hang out with the wrong crowd. Over and above anything, that, that is paramount to, our, to a good advancement in spiritual life. And there's regulative practice of devotional service Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Savanam. Hearing and chanting about Krishna, associating with scripture. Chanting the holy name, worshipping the deity, there's so much, cooking for Krishna, cleaning for Krishna, making some money and giving that money to support the, the, the preaching of Krishna consciousness. Whatever you can do, it doesn't have to be with, it doesn't have to be something is beyond your capacity. You do what you can, and as your attachment increases, you will also want to increase your service, naturally that is the position of guru he sees the disciple he understands their character and he directs them perfectly to make advancement in spiritual life one person he may say no more marriage for you i can see in your character you can renounce another person you have to be a married man these are these are details this is not of significance these are personal instructions the guru gives but the main Practices of devotional service are also there. So, this practice is, is Vaidhi Bhakti. And gradually, by following this Vaidhi Bhakti and sincerely chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, by sincerely praying Krishna, please, I do want to come to a platform of tasting my spiritual relationship with you. I'm sincere about it. I realize I'm the most fallen. I realize that there's hardly anything I can do to, to draw you to me, but still, let me try. Day in and day out, steadily we chant what we can chant, whatever fixed amount of chanting, we have this communion with Krishna. So important is chanting on a daily basis. Gradually there will come a time when the love will blossom in our hearts, as Prabhupada says in the end of this Chaitanya chart of Rita Purport. And the regulatives, all the constraint, everything that we saw as a constraint, I can't do this, I can't do that. All those can'ts what do they become? If you read the verses, there's one thing Krishna pointed out. They become the regulative principles of what? Freedom. Of our freedom. They're no longer a constraint. A constraint means no freedom. But these regulative principles become a natural thing for our spiritual freedom. I've gone over. Thank you. Any questions? I could stay here and talk longer. <laughs> we'll, we'll continue next week.
1: There was a comment. Uh, in regard to Subramuni, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, in the purple carpet gave his example. Uh, are you aware of his? You know why he got agitated by, by seeing those uh, fish?
0: Uh, that was offense. Yeah, he, he committed an offense. Garuda. Huh? He offended Garuda. Yeah.
1: And uh, and he cursed Garuda that he cannot come to this lake. And this was the place where, where Kaliya, yeah. you know, took his residence. Yeah. So then, in that
0: lake, there is was the fish. Hmm? In that lake, was the fish. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's where was residing. Was meditating He was meditating there.
1: Was meditating there. And, and Garuda was coming to, you know, for fishing, to have supper, and uh, so he he didn't like that, you know, that the fish are getting disturbed and the whole environment is, you know, like fearful or something like that. So he cursed Garuda, and. Uh, and because Garuda is great devotee, you know, it was counted as the offense towards him, and uh, that's why his senses got agitated later on because.